Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Good, Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Our co-host, Charles Thompson, is not here, but I am interviewing Gannon Evans, who's a policy analyst at the Kansas Policy Institute. Did I get that right? Also a contributor for Young Voices. How's it going? Yes. Hey, Nate. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're happy to have you. And I didn't tell you beforehand, but we're talking about something near and dear to me because I grew up on a big family farm and I have a whole, I have a whole family of farmers back home that may or may not like everything that we're about to say. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see where it mm-hmm. goes. But uh, we're, we're talking today about the farm bill, which is something that I wouldn't say a lot of people pay a ton of attention to. Uh, I've never dug that much into it. And I was wondering if you could, first off, let everyone know what that is and what it means, because I didn't realize that also included things like SNAP, that that was also included in it, which is apparently a very big portion of it as well. So if you could just give us an explainer on that, that'd be great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So to set the stage for why everyone's talking about the farm bill all of a sudden, a few weeks ago when we're trying to dodge a government shutdown and then with the whole mess of choosing a new speaker, the farm bill, which uh, the last one was went through in 2018, the farm bill expired. There wasn't a new farm bill that Congress voted on. And so many people were left sitting there like, so what, what is this going to go forward? So the Farm Bill itself is this term for this huge spending bill. It's about $428 billion. That's how much it was in 2018. But it covers a variety of different programs related to agriculture, related to farms across America. You hit on the big one there, about 75% of the Farm Bill is SNAP. Uh, It's the food assistance in the form of like food stamps for needy families. Um, that takes up a massive part of the bill. So everyone has an eye on this bill. And even though the bill expired, some of the programs that are elsewhere in the federal government spending like SNAP, they haven't just gone away, but there's billions of dollars worth of subsidies and the direction of these programs that are still up in the air right now. Well, so you were talking about, you know, making, cutting out some of the excess that's that's in this bill. And as I said earlier, I've got a big farm family. When you talk about excesses in the bill, are you talking about SNAP or are you talking about the money that's going to farmers or both? Yeah, that's a great question. And in fact, like that question is the reason why the farm bill didn't go through. Republicans were being pretty strict on wanting some more eligibility restrictions, which have, would have cut SNAP's SNAP funding, but then Democrats weren't really able to walk up to the bar. 
But at the same time, I think everyone isn't really getting at the big issues in that there's waste all across the farm bill, both in the farm subsidies itself, as well as in SNAP. So SNAP being the focus of things, there's definitely areas there where spending could improve, right? One thing that the USDA has advocated for is changes to the categorical eligibility aspect of SNAP. What that means is that if you are a person who qualifies for TAMF, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, you're just also automatically eligible for SNAP. And that's been a loophole because sometimes families that are receiving TAMF aren't a one-to-one -one with who SNAP is meant to go for. And there's ways that this has been exploited, so much so that there's a millionaire living in the state of Minnesota who was able to get food stamps. He got $6,000 worth of food stamps. He donated the equivalent of this back to charity, but he did this to prove the fact that even him at the top bracket of income could exploit the system and get assistance that he didn't really need. And at the end of the day, the people who are punished by that are those who truly need SNAP the most. But when we look at farm subsidies, it's it's a tough topic because agriculture is a very heavily subsidized part of the economy. And so walking into a room of farmers and saying, we need to end farm subsidies is going to get you kicked out the door within seconds. But rather, there's a lot of really unequitable ways in which farm subsidies are currently distributed. And again, there's a lot of loopholes that taking a magnifying glass to the farm bill would help close. So one of the most egregious things I learned is that there is a loophole in the farm bill that means that if you have a family member involved on your farm, for every family member, you can get $125,000 worth of subsidies. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. like, oh, that makes sense. But what counts as having a family member involved in farming is if you pick up the phone to your brother or sister and you have a 10-minute conversation about what crops to plant for the next year, that counts. Mm. There's $125,000 heading your way. And because of that, there are farms that know how to exploit this loophole and have received massive amounts of money while a lot of smaller farms have suffered. 20% of the largest farms in the country receive 80% of the federal subsidies. There's 20,000 farmers out there that have received $18.5 billion worth of subsidies over the last 37 years. And at that point, you just have to ask, like, are these subsidies really worth it? Is it going towards actually growing the economy or is it people exploiting it? Well, one, one issue I've seen um, is that these subsidies become necessary for a lot of the farmers because that market adjusts and it, it, it grows to a point where they wouldn't be able to, to survive if they were just taken away in the same way that you talk about welfare. It would be, it could mm -hmm. be wrong to just remove welfare for everyone because they've become dependent on it. In this case, the, the farm market, uh, when it comes to equipment or seed or, or land or anything has adjusted to all of these subsidies being in the system. And so how, how difficult would it be to actually start winding some of those things down? Yeah, I mean, the, the mindset that I have towards spending and that is the real productive way to have towards spending is that it's not about going into a bill and just axing this program, axing this program, cutting this, whatever. The, you have to go in methodically and look at every single program 
like internally and see if there's even a small area to improve that's that's spending that can be cut right and so when we're talking about subsidies here maybe it's not just getting rid of this program getting rid of that program it's going in and looking at these eligibility requirements it's going in and looking at you know who is who's been receiving this money does there need to be some sort of cap here for the for the massive farms that have been exploiting this for years it's going in and really taking that magnifying glass to the bill to see where it can be exploited. So no, I don't think that the agriculture industry in America is ready for like a cut and slash towards the farm bill, but I think everybody needs to do a better job at coming into the table and making concessions to make the farm bill more manageable for both taxpayers and for the people who receive it. Um, one thing on this, you talked about crop insurance a lot and um, also talked about that being uh, subsidies. So I wanted to clarify as I was reading through uh, your, your piece that you had, um, do you mean crop insurance that's just directly from the government or is this private crop insurance that the price is subsidized by the government or are you counting just insurance in general, like if they get that from a from a government marketplace, I actually don't know exactly how that works. Are you counting that entire thing as a subsidy, the whole that whole program? I would have to look at the specifics because there's there's dozens of different programs in the farm bill, but they all have some way to do with the federal government's money. So this isn't like private insurance providers, but rather instances where the government has a program that provides crop insurance. Um, as to the overlap between like, you know, government and private working in there, I'm not quite sure. Okay. Okay. Well, I was just, one question I, what I had when I was reading through that is uh, you were talking about wealthier farmers and bigger farmers being able to get more of that money. But what I was wondering is, well, if you are a bigger farm and you have more land and you're getting more money from the crop insurance, well, isn't that just a product of you having more land than someone else? And what not that actually equitable that you would get the same amount in crop insurance for the amount of acres that you have uh, versus someone else who has a lower amount of acres? You know, is that really an unequitable distribution? Yeah, you know, the issue with the inequity isn't necessarily with the crop insurance, but rather the subsidies that a farm receives, say, to plant this certain crop, to plant this um just other support subsidies, because in most of the situations here, it's a matter of larger farms knowing the loopholes and knowing where to go out and apply for these things, whereas smaller farms don't necessarily know the system is more and don't know how to get the full benefits of it. That's not to say that these loopholes fundamentally just aren't how the farm bill should work. And there needs to be more attention paid to, okay, does this massive million dollar farm really need another couple hundred thousand dollars from the federal government in order to operate? It's just, it's interesting as I think through this because I'm a libertarian and I don't, su mm -hmm. I don't support any of my money being taken from me forcefully to be given out to, so I, you know, as I frame those questions like that, it's not because I think we need to keep all these programs going. I'm just trying to decide how you would start to take apart this system. And it's interesting that I think about it that way because I know that my family has a large farm and I'm like, well, what could be taken apart piece by piece 
that wouldn't just end up with some mega millions farmer coming in and buying out the whole place, you know? And, yeah. and so I, I, I wonder what you would do to, to prevent that from happening. Now, uh, getting back to snap for a second, uh, I believe I read in there, you talked about how the unemployment in someone's area could make them uh, eligible for snap benefits and how that was actually creating a cycle in, in that area. Could you explain that to people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the SNAP benefits are pretty expansive there. And the issue is that, um, you know, when we're looking at SNAP, the goal of SNAP should be to get people off SNAP, right? To get people into a position where they no longer need assistance from the government, where they can provide for their family. But obviously that, that can't be true most of the time. And people sometimes do need that support. And the issue with SNAP is that there are so many things that can make people qualify for SNAP and that it also qualifies for making it hard to get off SNAP. Like the incentives aren't really there to go out, earn more and work more in order to stop because you would lose access to the program. And the fundamental issue there with many welfare programs is that the broader the eligibility and the easier it is to get in, sometimes the incentives make it harder to get out. And that creates an issue of more money going into SNAP, more people dependent and whatnot. And so one thing I was curious about is it seems to me, you know, we, we're going back and forth and talking about farmers and then we're talking about SNAP. And honestly, before I read your piece, I didn't know, and this is bad, I've been doing this show for four or five years now, I didn't know that SNAP was... In the farm bill, I thought that that was its own separate thing. Has anyone proposed the idea of not having these two things combined together so we don't get this, uh, as Rand Paul would say, this unholy alliance between the two sides where let's just assume that Republicans don't want to cut subsidies to farmers and the Democrats don't want to cut the SNAP program. And so they both agree to keep both of these programs growing in the way that they are. Has anyone proposed separating these things out? Yeah. Um, and the reason why SNAP is there is because SNAP is something under the purview of the Department of Agriculture. Mm. So I was at an event and there was a speaker there and she was somebody who worked on agriculture policy for Representative McCarthy. And when she was given the bill uh, or, you know, given the, the charge, OK, you're going to work on ag policy in the office. She was like, oh, farms. But then 90 percent of her time was talking about SNAP and talking about this, this issue. So with regards to like separating it, it's kind of tricky because, uh, you know, it is under the USDA's purview and the farm bill is the USDA's realm, which is why they've all been together. I'm not quite sure where you would move it to. That's an interesting question because um, it would likely have to get moved to a different department um, to which department would be best suited. I'm not quite sure. And I think at this time, most of the people in the policy policy sphere aren't really talking about just like moving SNAP somewhere else because at the end of the day, it's just going to become a topic of debate there. But I could definitely see how 
Snap has stolen this show in a lot of the regards where, for instance, like the recent debates this year was about Snap versus like farm subsidies themselves. Yeah, I just keep having this cognitive dissonance in my mind because I realize that they're subsidizing both the production and the consumption of a good. And on one hand, they're likely leading to the good costing more by subsidizing the people that are producing it. And then they're also aiding in the consumption of it, also leading to that good being able to cost more because they're yeah. subsidizing the purchasing of the product. And this just doesn't yeah. seem to make any sense to me. Well, that's the exact issue that's happening also with ethanol right now. And um, in the next 10 years, we are going to be having food and the cost of food be like a top agenda issue. Because like, for instance, over, over COVID with the post-COVID inflation, food prices were the thing that just kept going up and up and up and up. And part of the reason for that is when you have expansive subsidies for ethanol production. So this is turning materials like soybeans, turning all these organic materials into fuel. Um, that is food that is being directed off farms to go towards you know, ethanol and biofuel production, in part due to the government creating an incentive for farmers to do that. And the issue is that there's less farm going to the food sector, and that's causing prices to raise. That's causing there to be issues of, you know, more and more of a percentage of the crops are going towards biofuels, but the effectiveness of biofuels underlies like whether we should be investing this much, whether the cost of food is a consequence of something we should be interpreting. So you are right that across the agriculture industry, we're running into this issue where government is on both sides of giving money in production and giving money in consumption. And it's possible that it's skewing consumer choices. Yeah. And I wouldn't even have time to get started on the subsidizing of the interest rates for purchasing equipment or purchasing land. That's something I've talked to my family about. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, a, a combine costs five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars, and maybe it does because you've got a subsidized interest rate that's much lower than all the interest rates you would get anywhere else uh, that's subsidized because it's for a farm. And so there's more money available to go towards buying that you're willing to pay more money for it because the interest rate is lower. Mm -hmm. And if people weren't getting that subsidized interest rate, then maybe the prices on those things would be lower. In turn, you would be able to take lower prices for your food if the equipment that you were buying wasn't so much more expensive than it needed to be. And uh, which in turn would help people that are on SNAP trying to buy food because the food prices went down, uh, which would also mm -hmm. help people who are buying gas because the ethanol prices went down. And so there's that this is such a... That this is such a crazy web of subsidizing and subsidizing that I think has increased food prices to a, an amount that we can't even imagine how the percentage that it's more expensive than it should be. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so, um, what is it that you think they're going to do about actually getting this farm bill passed? What what are the compromises they're looking at, if any? Are they just going to keep things uh, the way that they've been? What's the plan right now for getting this done? I don't really anticipate there to be massive changes to the farm bill this year. I mean, the the drama with the speaker has shown that House GOP leadership isn't really in a position to make like a big change to SNAP or make a big push. 
Um, I think they are going to come together and pass a new farm bill, likely pretty similar to the one that was passed in 2018. Um, so it, it is going to likely be a situation of, yeah, let's just put something together because now it's in place and kicking the can down the road for actually looking at the effectiveness and the, the financial issues here. Kicking the can down the road seems to be the most likely option in the yeah. in my book. Well, uh, Gannon, why don't you tell everyone where they can go to read more of your work and where they can go to follow you, maybe on Twitter or whatever it is that you use. Yeah, absolutely. I write about different tax and spending issues in the state of Kansas, as well as other things such as rural development, farm issues, all that on the website, kansaspolicy.org. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd love to have you back on again sometime. My pleasure, Nate. Thank you.